Welcome back to At Across the Roads. Today we have with us Tanay Mansrekar. He was one of the most hardest and the longest pitch we had done so far, but it was completely worth it. Tanay is a part of the Virgin Hyperloop team and works as a power electronics specialist there. Tanay grew up in Pune and being one of the first Indian to be part of this historical team, he describes his journey in this installment of At the Crossroads. He was one of the first Indians to be a part of this team. To make this podcast more interesting, today I called on two friends of mine, Shantanu and Nivedan. Shantanu is the team lead of the Hyperloop India and a student who participated in the SpaceX Sports Challenge. Nivedan, on the other hand, is a computational fluid dynamic lead of the Hyperloop India team. Without wasting much time, sit back, relax, and enjoy this installment of At a Crossroads. So, Tanay, a lot of people might not know what a Hyperloop is and for their benefit, like, could you elaborate on what a Hyperloop system is? Sure. Um, so, what a Hyperloop is, is um, it's it's supposed to be the next uh, mode of transport, the fifth mode of transport. Uh, what we're actually designing uh, and, and building out over here, um, it is a high-speed, sustainable, on-demand transport, mass transportation system. Um, how this works is you essentially you have... Uh, an enclosed structure called a tube in which uh, we take um, most of the air out of the tube with, with the help of vacuum pumps um, and then in that low pressure environment we have pods um, that are propelled with electric propulsion they travel independently from each other uh, and they're supposed to travel at around 600 to 700 miles per hour um, or um, basically about 1000 kilometers an hour this is kind of um, what a hyperloop is in, in short Right, so the science behind the Hyperloop is not new and I remember reading about this one American professor called Robert Goddard who was, you know, back then in the 1900s, he was experimenting with this idea of a vac train. So a vac train is again the same thing. We have a train which is traveling in an evacuated tube and it was only recently, I think back in 2013, that Elon Musk decided to delve into this concept and he decided to publish a white paper on it. So why is there renewed interest in this technology all of a sudden? And what has changed in the past 200 years that makes the Hyperloop a feasible concept now? Sure. Um, so if you, I mean, it is true that these concepts were actually explored before in the early 1900s, I would say, uh, with, with Vactrain and a few other um, ideas as well. Um, I mean, if you look at it, right, the physics of it doesn't change. That's always first principles based. Uh, that, that, that stays constant throughout time. Um, what has really changed and what is helping us to actually make this move forward to get Hyperloop into a commercial state uh, is all of the surrounding, I would say, um, manufacturing processes, computational power and infrastructure buildup that we have as, as technology has been uh, exponentially improving. Um, I think this is right now is, is more the right time for, for something as complicated as a Hyperloop to um, actually manifest as a, uh, as a mass transit system. Um, so definitely in 2013, when um, the Alpha paper was as, was written as well, it did renew, renew a lot of interest. Um, that is how I was introduced to the concept of Hyperloop as well. But from that point onwards, uh, at Virgin Hyperloop, for the past six years, we have been doing a lot of trade studies, a, a lot of actual tests to understand what version of all of these different concepts actually works and what doesn't work. Um, so that is kind of the path to commercialization for us. That makes a lot of sense. So, how does it feel to, you know, be a part of 
such a big project because i am personally a fan of these high speed transportation systems be it bullet trains or you know hyperloop and when we look at youtube videos of virgin conducting tests or any other team for that matter it gives me goosebumps so how does it how does it feel to you know work on this project every single day uh it's it's a fantastic feeling right like for me I, i've grown up um, watching um watching videos of apollo missions and um looking at like just watching stuff on discovery which is large scale engineering projects and that is what fascinated me towards hyperloop as well it seems like a, a a project a challenge that that could solve um and actually be transformative at a very large scale um so for me to actually get an option to work on it is 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 pretty fantastic and and then the team that we've built over here um over the years to actually Uh, design this together that's what makes that journey of 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 building it out uh, even more enjoyable it, it it's it's pretty incredible to be working on something uh, that is so transformative on a day-to-day basis yep that's actually really amazing because we also you know grew up watching all these space missions and stuff like that and it really need, like we look up to you and the work that you guys do so as you mentioned the alpha paper came out you know while you were around i guess in your last year of undergrad so Before that came out, what were you interested in exactly? Were there any other interests that you tried to explore? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've, I've as, as I mentioned, I've always been interested in uh, engineering um, since since I was a kid. So I was always kind of look on, on the lookout for something new. Uh, and I would say before the Alpha paper came out, I was looking into uh, electric vehicles and uh, renewables. Um, that is where I was focusing most of my attention on, and then the Alpha paper just captivated me totally. um and at, at that point i was i was in my final um final year of undergrad um and then um i mean even even version had blue didn't actually exist at that point um it was uh, just kind of a leap of faith um and even even in the statement of purpose that i wrote to usc for, as an application i kind of had hyperloop uh, in, mentioned in there um when it wasn't actually a thing uh, and and then i came over to usc uh, and from that point onwards it was finding out how to how, how do i get to work uh, with version app so you did your masters at usc yes that is correct i, I did my masters in uh, electric power at usc so that was largely focused on uh, grid scale uh, power electronics um, and uh, renewables right so in uh, so the usc hyperloop was founded in 2015 i remember reading about it and i want to ask you whether where were you a part of it Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I ended up starting it in in the sense of um, there was another guy. Um, Alex was a sophomore at that time, and he and I uh, we, we we kind of really took it up and uh, basically built the team out um, during my final year at USC. Um, and then we also participated in the inaugural SpaceX competition, so we had to go to Texas A and M to uh, present um, the the board that and the board design that we had at that time. Um, but yeah, was uh, was a member of the first team at USC and. Uh, it was an awesome experience uh, to to be able to do that were there any moments when you had to you know jugad your way through a particular problem like you know think hatke apna indian jugad laga ke kahi kuch for sure right like there there, there are definitely a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of friends when when you when you basically encounter kind of situations where you need to improvise and and that is basically what what, what jugad is right it's improvising um uh, on the problem with limited resources Uh, once you have yeah. resources and you have a direct path to it, then then that becomes a solution. So Jukar is the first step of figuring out how do you get to the solution. For me, um, just 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 when I start thinking uh, about it, 
and, and that happens on a fairly frequent basis. But then at the same time, you kind of need to understand is that uh, once you're doing these designs, they need to be like the thought process needs to be formulated enough and that you take a step forward from Jakarta and like take it to actual solutions. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, going from Jakarta to something, uh, you know, legit is a very big process for any of us. Also, you know, we had this opportunity to stalk your LinkedIn and we understand that you had this master's thesis or a dedicated research phase at USC. So were you able to apply any of that research into your work at Hyperloop One? Um, so not 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 particularly. My uh, my thesis was uh, very specific. It was uh, it was more towards creating an integrated um, setup for electric vehicles uh, as a consumer. So like if you were living uh, like basically if you had an electric vehicle and some solar panels on top of your roof and a, like a Tesla Powerwall, um, that is what my master's thesis focused on. It was a very specific project that is not applicable to what I do um, right now. Um, but then uh, definitely all of the other uh, things that I learned at USC during my during the course um, was super helpful uh, to actually implement it at Hyperloop. Right. So you must have also taken some inspiration from your work that you have done in the SAE Epicycle competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like all, all of those competitions that I would um, basically take part in 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 India, and those were those were a lot of those, right? Like all of our robotics competitions, Robocon, um, TechFest. All, all different competitions and IITs, etc. Um, I mean, I, I think for me that is really where I learned most of the stuff uh, that 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 has been useful for me. Because uh, like it, it, it's one thing to learn theory in classes, but then it's another thing to actually go out and interact with people, form teams, and then solve a problem which you don't really know specifically how to solve in the beginning. So that whole process helps you to understand how do you learn and how do you um, experiment and implement things. So, like all, all everything that you probably see on my LinkedIn, essay, um, FE cycle, or or all of the robotic stuff, I think that has been instrumental in kind of helping me realize the practical element of studying. Ah, so when Indians are foreign, go to foreign companies, they work. So the mm-hmm. first thing that hits them is the cultural shock. So, like what I have noticed is that in every country, the motivation of working is different, their way of working is different, and their expected etiquette from their employees is also different. हर एक कंट्री में अलग होते हैं एंड ये चीज़ हर एक पर्सन को ग्रास्प करने को थोड़ा टाइम लग जाता है एंड इसके अलावा इट इज़ आल्सो यू नो लॉट ऑफ स्टफ इज सेट अबाउट द अमेरिकन वे ऑफ लाइफ कि द अमेरिकन दे वर्क फॉर मोर आर्ट्स एंड द टिपिकल इंडियन डज एंड दे स्पेंड लिटिल टाइम कुकिंग एंड वगैरह वगैरह सो यू नो वट सॉट ऑफ सेट सो वॉज इट डिफिकल्ट फॉर यू टू अडेप्ट टू द अमेरिकन कल्चर एंड देयर वे ऑफ लाइफ नॉट रियलीट you would you would find those variations in like within the, the american culture as well right some people do it in a certain way and some people do it in another way uh, I, i think for me my exposure my my professional expo- experience has been at uh, working at version hyperloop and the team has really just been fantastic uh, and they're they're very open minded and we have uh, it, it's it's just really easy to get along um so like for me it's it, it's kind of part of family over here some of the folks that that I work with and it's uh, it's it's actually pretty incredible to to find a team like that so that process i guess was very easy i would say for me and i didn't really have any cultural shocks or anything uh, particularly because of the folks that i was working with him right and very exciting so uh, you might not know this but even we at hyperloop india are also you know trying our hand at developing liter induction motors for the propulsion system of our pod 
बट वी आर स्टिल फार अवे फ्रॉम यू नो रियलाइजिंग इट तो काफी काफी चीजें हैं काफी दिक्कतें आती है तो एक उसमें से एक है कि अपना जो स्पेसिक्स का ट्रैक है इट्स नॉट इट्स नॉट पावर्ड सो दैट्स वन ऑफ द बिगेस्ट लिमिटेशन फॉर यू नो इंटीग्रेटिंग लीनियर इंडक्शन मोटर्स इन टू द प्रोपल्शन सिस्टम ऑफ अर पॉड एंड ऑल्सो वेरी वेरी रिसर्च मटीरियल इज अवेलेबल ऑन लीनियर इंडक्शन मोटर्स एंड वट एवर आई रेड इज यू नो ऑल डेटेड बैक टू नाइनटीन एटीज एंड नाइनटीन नाइनटीज So you know, speaking of propulsion systems, uh, we wanted to ask you know when you will be you know taking the uh, uh, current speed record back home because it's currently you know set by the Technical Uni- University of Munich because at around 460 kilometers per hour. So you know when are your plans to you know take that record back to Hyperloop India? Yeah, well, I mean, for for us, look, speed speed is one thing, right? Like we are not. we're not specifically targeting speeds right now we want to actually build out a system that is commercially viable uh we we definitely not competing with student universities who had a had a subscale pod uh run at spacex with a slightly higher speed um i i would say what is fundamentally important for us right now is to build out the system to to its entire scale um in a manner that is safe for people to travel in so the targets and the objectives are way different uh, if if you look at uh, the most recent test that we did uh, pegasus Um, the whole the whole reason why 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 the project was kind of designed the way it was was not really for speed it was for people to actually travel in a hyperloop in a safe manner um uh, when 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 you and what i mean by that is um if if you're actually putting people inside a in, inside a pod and you're making them travel at whatever speed it is uh you need to make sure that all of the design practices have been followed and those have been validated and verified and that is the process that we are following right now um so it's 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 like those short term speed records don't matter much to us as as much as actually building up the whole system and making it commercially viable yeah i mean that's actually really important for you guys to you know focus on safety and i'm sure that you know you'll you will be the probably the first ones to you know get that get the 750 miles per hour uh, this thing barrier done so yeah um also uh, when you when i joined hackloop india you know i wasn't sure exactly if i was built for the team and th- because this was supposed to be one of the most exclusive student teams in the entire country and what these guys were doing was, was very high stakes and i was want i wanted to ask if you found yourself in such a situation when you know you joined as an intern or a full time employee I mean I mean yeah like I I think in 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 my case I think I'm I'm a lot more uh I I tend to be on the overconfident and complacent side rather than being on the other side uh, which is not helpful either um, but I think what, what I would say is that whenever you're doing something new right you you always feel like you're a fool at it uh, and and it's that process of actually learning learning how do you um what it, what it is that you exactly need to learn if if what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and going through it But when I was yeah. an intern I was yeah. fortunate enough to get um um like to literally just get overloaded with a lot of responsibilities and and that is what kind of made that whole experience for me really enjoyable uh, was to was to kind of push myself out over there and into the boundaries and learn new things um and that's why I joined back uh, as as a full-time employee as well it is it is that uh, as long as you're getting to learn something during that process I think that's well worth it even if it takes additional efforts that's that's totally fine yeah that that that's some good advice right there um 
also you know just speaking of experience here so i also you know wanted to move towards project pegasus i mean i guess that's what that's the uh, uh, program that you qualified for for in order to test so can you tell us more about project pegasus as such and you know did anybody have to be at a certain position within the company to qualify or could anybody apply for this no so i mean that this kind of speaks uh, pretty well about a company culture everyone in the company had an opportunity to actually apply for it um when 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 um basically josh geigel our cto he announced that we are doing project pegasus i remember everyone was just ecstatic and they were like how do we sign up right because there was a lot of interest for people to um actually get into the board uh, and then over the process of two years from that point we kind of built out um this whole this whole um safety centered approach uh, which is i would say in, in some sense already existing but uh, we focused more on what are the things in devloop uh, which is that test facility um that we need to really look at from a safety perspective to make sure that each and every person in our company is comfortable um with the work that has been done to to actually ask someone to take a ride in it and and that is what that whole process was the so project pegasus um long story short it is it, it's not like it only happened in two years that the, the groundwork for that was laid from i would say 2016 2017 um and then the, the last two years were primarily focused on a lot of say documentation a lot of validation uh, we had a third party uh, assessor so that was certifier who certifies railways and airways and and transportation systems look at our designs uh, make sure that we have all of the uh, check boxes clicked um, and 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 taken care of before we actually put people in there uh, and, and then the actual target for project pegasus was 100 miles per hour uh, we did achieve that um this this it was some 100 meters an hour if i'm not wrong um and, and then the the track length is limited right the track length is only on uh, only 500 meters there's only so far that you can go before which you need to stop right now uh, and that is why the way how we designed the test the specific test was that you accelerate at 0.9 g's um hit 100 miles per hour and then you slow down safely the whole length of the tube that we actually traversed was around 0.4 uh, uh, kilometers oh that's that's amazing mm-hmm. so uh, did you have to undergo any training after you were selected for the program um not really i mean they well they they did have a bunch of different interviews as to well why why does this excite you and and just kind of they wanted to know why exactly did you want to do it um and uh some some of the training was related to um some of the emergency procedures if at all something was to go wrong we had a certain set of emergency procedures uh, um I, i would say like in an air flight where you know this is how you get out of the board and these are the things that you do if there were if there were to be an emergency it is at the end of the day like xp2 stands for experimental pod 2 it was still an an experimental pod uh, which means that there were certain safety precautions that we were supposed to be aware of and it's it, it is just looking at the whole project from a comprehensive side that even if the possibility of that is pretty rare and it's not really going to happen we still need to be aware of it right Right, so from what i understand the hyperloop traveling in an evacuated tube is very similar to an aircraft which, which is cruising at at an uh, flight altitude so so is the preparation for the launch of the pod very similar to that that has to be done before you know your aircraft takes off 
Um, I mean, not, not exactly. Um, so the, the two differences over there are, um, well, if you look at an aircraft, uh, an aircraft is really only traveling at around 35,000 feet. Um, I believe the, the equivalent of what we have in the tube is more around 200,000 feet. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot higher up in the sky um, in, in that sense and in, in just um, technicalities of it. Um, and then when you think about, say, launch procedures and, and all of those things for our commercial systems, it's going to be way, way different than, than what you see at airports. And that's kind of the whole, whole, whole reason we are looking at it from an end to end perspective. Um, right now, the part of air travel that's really cumbersome is the part where we get into an airport and then get on an airplane and all the security and everything else in, the, in between. That is really the part which people don't like. Uh, and, and it makes sense because you waste a lot of time over there. For us, what we want to do is you want to convert this into a, a, an on-demand system. What I mean by that is uh, our users, the experience should be you literally just walk into a terminal, you have a pod in front of you, you sit in and you go. And all of the technical aspect of it is managed by the way we have architected the system already. Um, so the on-demand part is is more towards um, you don't have to really reach a Hyperloop station at a specific given time uh, because you would have pods leaving in, in the order of minutes, uh, in the order of five minutes or so. so. No matter what time you reach, you would have something uh, in, in front of you that's ready to go. Right. Okay. So, like you said, that the, the pod, the XP2 pod, it launches at 0.9 Gs. So, mm-hmm. what does the what does the human body feel when you know it is subjected to such high G forces? So, what I know is that during an aircraft takeoff, usually the body, the human body, is subjected to 0.4 Gs. And like, do you have any analogy for explaining this particular phenomena? And is it like being on a roller coaster? Um, sure. So, well, honestly, 0.9 Gs, I was feeling pretty darn awesome in there. Uh, but but, but at, at, at the same time, right, like this, that 0.9 Gs, the reason why we pushed it that high uh, was specifically because of the length of the tube. For our commercial routes, uh, what we want to do is you want to dial that down to around 0.2 Gs or so. Um, that is really where people don't feel much. It's like activating in your car or even in a much more smoother way. Um, Race all the drivers have been with, uh, but 0.2 G's is is really you won't really feel all of that acceleration. And the reason specifically why we want to do that is so that it is uh, it, it's basically grandma friendly, it's kid friendly, it's pet friendly, it's friendly for everyone, right? We want it to be a mass transit system, which means that you don't really need to be trained for this. This is not supposed to be a roller coaster ride. This is supposed to be a a a, a, a really enjoyable experience for everyone who, who, who uses a Hyperloop. Uh, so in a commercial route, you would see that acceleration dialed down significantly. Oh, okay. Um, also, you know, uh, you mentioned about the safety-centric approach that you can take at Hyperloop India. So how do you guys plan for, you know, situations like fires or, you know, any other type of emergency evacuations or something like that? I mean, it's it's largely similar uh, to I, I would say to airplanes uh, in in that in the final effect of what people would see, um, right? Because um, if you think about it, it's the, those conditions are kind of similar where you have a pressurized fuselage with um, all of the I would say life support systems working independently in there. Um, so that like you can equate Hyperloop to to the fuselage of like you can equate the pod in some sense to the fuselage of the of an airplane 
um, which is the self-contained system. Um, and then, yes, like all, all of those uh, potential cases are always there, for instance, fire or any, any anything else. But then um, the, the way you kind of build out and make sure that that's never really a possibility is um, you, you build it in redundant systems. And since we are architecting the systems ourselves, uh, it's, it's, it's basically a blank canvas for us to draw. On, um, and, and that gives us a lot of freedom to to think about it from like um, from an architecture perspective. Add all of those redundancies in the pod itself, in the wayside system itself. Make sure that we are controlling all elements to the best that we can. Yeah, I mean, um, see, you know, people usually tend to lose confidence in any type of transit systems. You know, after an accident, like you can you can probably uh, look at the recent Indonesian plane crash. And as you said, if we can compare a pod to an airplane, uh, it's really relieving to see that you have redundant systems in place to, you know, not let that happen. Yeah, I mean, like at, at the end of the day, right, all of that goes into design practices. Um, as as um, as our company culture itself, we take it very, very seriously um, to, to do our designs responsibly, make sure that we're not really, uh, I, I would say, um, missing out on any aspect of it just in, in just to meet like some deadlines or something, right? This is a very well thought out, detailed process where we have peer reviews and we also have external third party reviews. Make sure that we're covering all of those grounds. It is, uh, it's, it's, it is a shared responsibility for everyone who's working on the design to make sure that that never happens to the I believe. Right. Yeah. So Virgin recently announced the new Hyperloop certification center. So will this be your new headquarters and will the DevLoop site still be operational? Yeah, I mean, the DevLoop site is still going to be operational. Our headquarters here based out of Los Angeles. That's where I live. Um, that's where most of the R&D actually happens. Um, Las Vegas right now has been our testing bed. Uh, so we design things in, in Los Angeles and then um, take it out to Vegas and test it out in the desert. Um, now, moving forward, in West Virginia, that is going to be, as you mentioned, it's, it's basically going to be a certification site. Uh, so it's uh, going to be a little, like the track, etc., is going to be a little more than six miles or so, uh, where we will be able to kind of test out the whole system at, at, at scale um, and get it certified as well. Um, so that is really working with the safety assessors, working with regulators and governments to make sure that um, make sure that they understand specifically what we're doing and how do we move towards commercialization um, with all of the regulatory um, like laws that come with it. So that is what is going to happen at West Virginia, but um, Las Vegas and LAHQ still stay. <laughs> right. So you guys are testing the pod in Vegas. Did you guys go partying? In Vegas at night after you were done working. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, trust me. Like if you if you if you're working on such a complex project, then f first of all, like it's out in the desert. Yeah, it, it's about forty five minutes uh, drive from uh, the central Vegas. Uh, and and <laughs> but by the time you're done with the day, you're already just so so tired that you're not gonna party that night. I mean, uh, to, like we we do have a, a lot of fun once once we achieve something like once the testing. Part of it is done, but usually the schedules are aggressive enough where um, there's really no no time to party when when we are actually solving something. Mm -hmm. uh, but then at the end of it, yeah, like obviously in in Vegas and even I would say to that matter of uh, a fact in LA as well, uh, we we do have a lot of when we go for paintball, we go for a bunch of different things, and it's a very very friendly team and 
everyone pretty much works in place together. But that, that 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 seems like a super fun place to be in because you're working at such cool stuff and you're doing some cool things you know downtime so yeah and you know so we already spoke about you know your pods and your certification scientists so can you tell me more about the routes the routes that you you know guys uh, plan about is it how is it decided upon exactly like you know is it solely dependent upon uh, things like passenger connectivity or are there other factors like the other competitive transport facilities available and you know even the cost factor of it sure so i mean with with respect to routes um, what there, there are a bunch of things that come into play um, obviously topology comes into play what kind of alignment we can get the specific business case um, how much how much travel is actually expected for people uh, we we obviously want to want to build a high people where it is actually useful and it's actually transformative right so we look at people movement we look at cargo movement and logistics figure out where would be the best uh, like best locations to to have these routes and i mean one one good way of doing that um, if if you guys remember um it it was um, um what was it um it it was the open source um, the the kind of competition that we had where we asked people uh, well where do you, you want to see a hyperloop and a lot of we, we got a lot of interest from there um where from all around the globe people you know came up with ideas that well pune mumbai came out from there there, there was a bunch of places in dubai that came out from there the europeans came out from there which is people letting us know that hey we want a hyperloop over here so to see that interaction and to see that interest is also a huge factor in 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 for us to kind of detect those routes uh, and and then like once we kind of understand the business case then we look at okay what does that exactly mean in terms of how do you build it out what is the topology do you need to do tunneling do you need to can it just be on the side of a freeway what kind of land rights are required etc and what experience at the end of the day passengers would get um and so like there are so many different factors when you think about route alignment um and and selecting a specific route yeah i mean it is a complicated process so mm-hmm. you you know you happen to mention in your earlier answers that you're building an building an end to end system with a on demand service so now consider a country like india where you know the population density is so high that you'll have to you know have a lot of work put into your on demand service so uh, is there an innovation or a novel approach involved here as well yeah i mean if you if you think about the portal design right uh, we we pretty much can design the entire portal the way we want to um that that gives us a lot of flexibility to integrate um i would say last mile solutions and that are already available in india into these portals um which which kind of opens up the space right what we want to do is we want to make sure that that experience though for people is very seamless Uh, it, it should be something where you're changing ten different modes of transport to get get to your end location. Uh, it should be more just like you, you start in one place and then you end up to the other other, other location, right? And then if you smartly integrate um, some of the other modes of transports, which which can cover for the last mile, then then you're pretty much good over there. Then it's no longer uh, a single point to single point solution. It it kind of grows more than that. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So realistically speaking, when will the Indian janta have access to a hyperloop route in India? <laughs> we need to take into consideration the fact that you know in India we don't have the we don't have the bullet trains yet. हम लोग rail transportation के innovation में काफी पीछे अभी भी. 
Yeah, 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 I understand that, but at the same time, I mean, I, I think I think you give a little less credit over there to Indian innovation and how quickly we can leapfrog uh, when it comes to new technologies. Um, I, I think from from our perspective, having a route uh, in in India um, before the end of the before twenty thirty is when we think we can actually have a complete deployment uh, with which people can use, um, and like a, a lot of the, I, I would say a lot of the infrastructure and everything like we did a feasibility study to figure out how much of it can be built in india and and what what can be just done over there locally and uh, it was it was kind of i think around 74 percent or more than that can actually right now as of today with today's existing manufacturing technologies can be built in india um which which means that like we're not really too far away in, in that sense if you compare it um with, with where we want to go and there's obviously opportunities to improve that Right, most of the manufacturing and everything can actually happen in India itself, and as a country, we're well equipped to do that based on our studies. Um, so that's why it's a very lucrative case for us. And I think, I mean, come on, it's it's, it's like we have actually generated some sort of a track record leapfrogging technologies. I think Hyperloop is what we should do uh, as as the next thing in transport. Yeah. Um. Uh, also, you know, when you spoke about feasibility. Have you ever considered, you know, expanding in India uh, to other uh, uh, routes like, you know, from Bangalore Airport to Bangalore City as such? Because if you know the reputation of Bangalore Airport, you would have, you know, sympathized with the record times that, you know, it takes for people to get from the airport to the city. For sure. I mean, I, I think there right now there are two pretty active projects in, in India itself. The one is Pune, Mumbai and the other one is actually the Bangalore project. Uh, which we announced a few months ago, uh, which is the airport connector. So right now, the travel time that it takes for for anyone who's done that travel would be around two and a half hours to three hours uh, getting yeah. from city center to the airport. Uh, we, based on our estimates, we can reduce that time down to ten to fifteen minutes. Uh, so that's going to fundamentally change things. Uh, and and in terms of expansion, right? Like right now, we're looking at a couple of routes, but at least the way how I envision it, it's it's more like um, I, I would say something akin to the uh, golden quadrilateral, right? Something that actually connects all four corners of India. That that that's when you really change it at at a, at a national level. Um, so definitely, I mean, those are our long term plans um, to to actually connect more cities. Uh, but right now, to begin with, I think uh, Pune, Mumbai, and Bangalore, those those are the two top runners. Really, really look forward to it. Yeah. So let me ask you a So I know you are a Marathi manus and I also know you are a Puneri. So on that note, let me ask you what your favorite food from Pune is. <laughs> Pune, yeah. I, I, I would say Vaishali. If, if, if you've ever been there, Vaishali is the place where I go to eat uh, cheese, Mysore masala, dosa. At the same time, I would say. Uh, uh, non-stop pohe, uh, just so many other things uh, that I remember um, when I think about Pune and the food that you get over there. Uh, yeah, so, do do uh, miss that aspect a lot. So, do you have a must-visit place when you're visiting Pune? Vaishali, Vaishali for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's very obvious, you know, that uh, India does not have a privately owned Hyperloop company so far. So do you think, you know, you, you want to come back home and start your own company here? You know, because we are searching for jobs right after college and, you know, we'll be very good assets to your company. 
so think about it right now working with was in heavy loop i can i basically have the platform to 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 actually make an impact in india right uh, i mean I, i i do hope that i can i can i can work in india but at the same time like to answer your question opportunities for you guys think about it uh, if if once we start developing like once version hyperloop starts developing the hyperloop in between pune and mumbai or even in bangalore as i mentioned uh, around like in terms of manufacturing itself 74% of it just happens locally so think about the number of opportunities that you would have um to actually build this out like it's it's not like we're going to be able to build this alone we we need a lot of support from india and in in terms of just resources right um so a lot of people a lot more people will be involved in this opportunities will be available for everyone so um definitely once the project goes through you would you would get a chance to um actually be a part of this and and build it out together that's true i mean we're looking forward to it and you know um you mentioned uh, about building up just right now so do you think you know there are there is a need for more innovations in the power electronic sector before it can be deployed at full capacity for hyperloop or you know if if it is then you know how close is the scientific community to achieving these innovations i mean i, I think right now the the work that specifically um, i'm 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 doing it's largely based on just um, designing drives um, and designing power electronic drives for for levitation guidance propulsion systems um and what we have today it is it is definitely different than any any other like electric vehicle drive that you would see it's a lot more complicated uh, we are really pushing the bounds on it um and it's th- that's kind of the fun element for me in 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 there uh, is that i'm trying to get to test these devices out in 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 uh, in, in some sort of you know and and undefendable let's let's say but then the, the thing that we're doing along with that is uh, we do have our um, manufacturers like we're working with um actual like silicon uh, manufacturers to understand what are the limits how do we use it how do we utilize it and how do we take this forward so it's a it's a very um i would say it's tight development in between what the work that we're doing the way how we're pushing the bounds and also working with manufacturers to understand what are the actual limits because uh, then you can just always stay on the cutting edge um so in terms of innovations i think like it's it's definitely implementable uh, with with the power electronics that we have today Uh, and we are still just taking it a step further working with manufacturers to make sure that the technology that we're developing today is not something uh, that's that's short term it is it's really long term it is it is something that stays for decades to come yeah i mean that's that's very great um uh, i guess you know you would be very happy to you know wake up every day look forward to solving a problem that you know a lot of people have just in their dreams so yeah Yep, I mean that's 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 the fun part about working here. Um, I, I think every every day there's a, there's a new problem. Some days are particularly more difficult than the other ones, uh, for sure. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I think like working together in brainstorm sessions really helps um, get over those challenges, and it's also a very fun process. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so ever since I was a kid, I've always you know dreamt of working on cars. working in the motorsport and the automobile industry and i voluntarily chose mechanical engineering as my undergrad discipline for this very particular reason so did you also orient your studies goals and a target from a young age to get where you are in your career right now um i mean yes i did right like i i, I knew that i i had a thing for engineering I, i knew that i wanted to work on transformative projects but i would say that the path to here has been 
uh, I've been meandering a lot in, in the middle, like kind of redirecting myself and reorienting. Uh, when, when I started in, in school, I used to think that I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, and then I turned out to be an electrical engineer. And, and there, there were like definitely course directions that I have on my way here. But um, I, I would say that if, as long as you have a long term plan and you are willing to pivot at the right time and, and make the changes in kind of dedicated to a long term goal, it, it should be fine. Um, you, you'll get there with enough dedication and just re uh, resilience. Right. Yeah. So, did you anticipate that in the future you'll be working for a company as big as Virgin and on a project as exciting as Hyperloop One? I mean, for, from for me, it's this. This is pretty much a dream come true. I, I would say, uh, anticipate is uh, brings a lot more certainty to it. But at that time, I think it was definitely an aim to work on um, to work on something so transformative, um, and and then. Version Hyperloop was a great opportunity, so it's uh, it, it's important that if you spot an opportunity, you kind of just go right at it head on and and make sure that you you make the most out of it. So for me, it's it's definitely a dream come true to 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 be working over here. And also at the same time, I mean, equally equally, uh, I would say fortunate to to get that opportunity in the first place. Yeah. So you know, um, on that concluding remark, you know, I wanted to ask. Um, is there any advice that you could give us, like some like uh, to students at undergraduate level? Because you know, we as undergraduates might also uh, dream of you know going to the US for the masters or working at companies like Hyperloop or SpaceX or you know some big technologies as such. So, um, is there any advice that you could give to us and other students you know who would be listening to this? Sure. I mean, advice I, I guess this is this is just going to be based on my my experience. Um, so, um, the, the the I, I think what is what is fundamentally kind of worked for me is having like figuring out um, what what your what you kind of have an interest in, what you kind of have a passion in, and and then finding out practical I would say opportunities that can actually happen, and then have backup plans for that, um, and and then more or less be open to the to the fact that um, at, at any given point of time you, you need to understand that like at an undergrad level when once we get that degree there's still a lot more for us to learn i, I felt the same way um, when, I, when i completed my masters i would say is that there was still a lot more to learn um e even right now like every as every year goes by there's, there's still a lot more to learn <clears throat> right and um i i think if you just Kind of understand and internalize that fact that there's always more that you don't know than what you do. Um, I, I guess learning then just becomes something that you're attracted towards and you gravitate towards. So it makes the whole process a lot more easier. Um, and I mean, um, having ha having a long-term vision kind of makes you <clears throat> makes you makes you um, understand along the path if you need to redirect yourself uh, if if there's something that you're doing right if there's something that you're doing wrong. And if you're too far away from your goal, or if you're getting closer to it, right? So it's always a motivating factor. Um, so I would say have have a long term long term plan for yourself, um, and that's not like two years, five years. It's more like ten or twenty years, and then break it down into smaller chunks, uh, which are actually measurable, um, so that you can redirect as you go along. I don't know within six months or like one year time frames. Um, that like, but but make sure that it's it's practical. Like, just I, I think the 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 whole thing that is sold uh, that follow your passion that is incomplete. I would say in a sense, it's it's more like at least in my experience, it has been more like follow your passion, but also figure out how do you get there and how do you actually practically implement it. Because those are two entirely different things. Um, so yeah, that would be my take on 
in, in, in general, how do you orient yourself in, at, at work? If you do like this podcast, share it with your friends, follow us and rate us on Spotify and Google Podcast and stay tuned for the upcoming episodes.